All right. Go ahead and do this. Welcome to the Insert Clever and Witty Name Here podcast. My name is Mike. I'll be your captain for the next 45 minutes. That's my cheesy captain voice. <laughs> uh, it's the heat. The heat is getting to me. And it's only 91. I say only 91. 91 is hotter than it should be this time of year here in Tulare County, California, for my friends living and listening abroad. But nothing like the 99 that is heading our way coming up Wednesday and Thursday this week, which obviously much, much hotter than it should be this time of year. But we'll get through it somehow. So as I'm sitting here, today is Monday, May 10th, the day after Mother's Day, which we'll get to a whole bunch of Mother's Day stuff that I mentioned a little bit on the air earlier this morning and again last week, Friday. But today, March 10th, is Trust Your Intuition Day. I uh, I don't typically try to trust my intuition, mainly because either one, I don't have intuition, or two, when I have trusted it, I should not have. <laughs> and I've ended up uh, getting in trouble in more ways than I care to count. But I found this interesting study. Um, this was on, where was this? Um, is it YouGov.com? Uh, yeah, YouGov.com. How common are psychic moments? One in three Americans feel they have experienced one. Now, they break it down even further than that. 40% of all women, so close to half, 29% of men said at some point in their lives they have had what they would refer to as a psychic moment, something that their intuition told them something, and it turns out they should have listened to their intuition because it nailed it. Again, 40% of women, 29% of men. I wonder if that's indicative of the actual psychic abilities. Are more women psychic or are they just in tune to that ability, whereas being psychic is split 50-50 between men and women? That I have no idea. I just found it interesting. Again, 40% of women, 29% of men feel as though that they have had a psychic moment. And again, wondering if that turned out to be true or not, but... I found that rather interesting as far as something to celebrate for today. Uh, but yet again, yesterday was Mother's Day. And I mentioned some of these on the air, again, on my 97.5. But a couple more that I wanted to get to that I didn't get a chance to get to on the air. This was from, where was it? Um, I'm not sure. Fun facts about Mother's Day. OnlineStarRegister.com. Now, they have 20 fun facts about Mother's Day. Trust me, I read them. Not all of them are fun, so I will give you <laughs> the actual fun ones. Like at number six, Mother's Day sees around a quarter of all the flowers purchased throughout the entire year falling on Mother's Day. And I guess the other three quarters being Valentine's Day. Uh, fun fact number 12, and this is fun Mother's Day facts category, in the United States alone, around 122 million phone calls are made to mom on Mother's Day. That compares to the 12 calls that are made to dad. Just feels that way sometimes. And approximately $14 billion are spent on Mother's Day as opposed to the $14 period <laughs> spent on dad's day. If you can tell, I'm a little bitter when it comes to Mother's Day and Father's Day. It's... It's never ceased to amaze me, and I didn't connect these dots until after I became a dad 12-plus years ago. But why is it, riddle me this, that 
Mother's Day falls within the school calendar, meaning teachers will have their students make things in art class, typically, for mom. But since Father's Day is outside of the school calendar, teachers very rarely think to have their students make something for dad, say, put this in a safe place, and on Father's Day, give it to dad, so kids are left up to their own devices, which is why dad to get ties. And sometimes it's ties they already had that kids just hope <laughs> that their dad has forgotten because it was way, way in the back. It was wrinkled, so I steam cleaned it for dad, put it in a box, and there you go, dad, here's your tie for Father's Day. Uh, fun fact number 15 on this list. This one I did mention on the air and had more than a little bit of fun with. In what was formerly Yugoslavia, children would tie up their mothers on Mother's Day, and the only way mom could get free is if she paid her children with treats. There are many problems with this. Was it the honor system? Because if mom is truly tied up, how can she do anything, including pay her children treats for her freedom? Uh, second of all, uh, what happened to the children after they got their treats? That's what I want to know as far as what happened in Yugoslavia years ago for Mother's Day. And then I came across this from mom as well. This was from digitalhub.com. This amazed me, and I actually came across this weeks before Mother's Day, and I held on to it just in time for Mother's Day, and I talked about it quite a bit on the air last week, Friday. This was a poll of 2,000 women. 68% of the women in this poll, and this was a poll conducted this year, 68% said that they have shopped for themselves for their own gifts. Mostly birthdays, 73%. Of women said, yeah, I, I buy myself my own birthday present. I know what I want. I'm going to buy exactly what I want. No need for the gift receipt. Okay, I get that. 50, actually 65% said they bought their own Christmas presents. I've never done that. But again, this is, this is women now. This is another one that's surprisingly on, surprising on the list. Valentine's Day. 61% of women say that they've bought themselves a, a Valentine's Day gift. And then ties into Mother's Day less, but still 54% of moms have bought themselves a Mother's Day gift. You think that, that that's bad? Take a listen to this. 10% of those women surveyed that bought themselves Mother's Day gifts weren't even moms. <laughs> don't even get that. Really? There's nothing wrong with buying yourself a gift, buying yourself something nice. You don't need the purpose of an occasion, whether it happens to be Christmas or Valentine's Day or your birthday or Mother's Day. But if, if you buy yourself a gift and you're not a mom, don't call it a Mother's Day gift. You That's not... That's not right. That's that's wrong on way, way, way too many levels. So, and this is something to keep in mind. If you're wondering what to get mom, and I apologize for the sniffles. Um, I've been kind of nursing something for the past few weeks or so with a little congestion and, and whatnot. Hopefully get some resolution on that. I'm pretty sure we're done with allergy season here in the Valley, but 
actually in the valley. I don't think we're ever done with allergy season. There's always something in bloom. But with the same article from digitalhub.com, these are the top 10 gifts that women give themselves. Now, this isn't just for Mother's Day. This is just, in general, gifts women give themselves. What do they buy themselves? So I'll start with 10, go all the way to number one. Number 10, books. So if you know that a woman in your life is, a, is an avid reader, a book actually makes a great gift. However, if the woman in your life is not an avid reader, I definitely would not go the book route. That could go south for you rather quickly. Are you saying? Yeah, you know, I'm not even going to go down that road with, you know, hypothesizing what that conversation might sound like. All right, so number nine on this list is, again, top 10 gifts women give themselves. Number nine, useful items. Really? That, um, that kind of covers the gamut, doesn't it? Only 18%, and again, number nine on the list, but again, ahead of books, <laughs> which tells you where books ranks on this. And by useful items, they specifically mean appliances, kitchenware, things of that nature. Uh, number eight, can't go wrong with this, but again, do check with the woman in your life. Some may consider this an insult as well. Alcohol, but a nice bottle of wine, I would say, if you know your significant other is a big fan of Pinot. For example, um, I would not necessarily get wine in a box unless, again, that happens to be her thing, in which case, put a bow on it and call it a day. Uh, number seven on this list, decorative items, artwork, figurines, things of that nature. I would also include, if it's a, a present to be given around the holidays, uh, ornaments. I know my wife loves ornaments, especially ones that have a significant meaning behind it, whether there's a trip involved or helps Santa, uh, celebrate um, something, an accomplishment, uh, a milestone in life that was attained that year. That makes sense. Uh, number six, this would be much higher for guys, Tech and or gadgets. Yeah. Number one. Well, at least, okay, with, with the guy you're listening to right now, at least. Number five on the list. I'm surprised this one was a little higher. Jewelry. Number five, 35% of women, again, gifts that they give themselves, jewelry. Number four, food. <laughs> again, I don't get it, but okay, ladies, 37% say giving themselves the gift of food. It sustains life, so I guess that's where they're coming from. Number three, skincare. This wouldn't even be on a list for guys. I, I wouldn't imagine. Um, honorable mention, maybe, but number three for women. Number two, okay, clothing at 43%. And number one, 49% of women said that the gift that they give themselves is cosmetics. See, that one I get, whether you're talking about going to um, Ulta Beauty or any of the, the mall stores, thinking like JCPenney or Macy's, they've got the cosmetics department, and more often than not, each one has lines exclusive to that particular department store. Um, I would assume perfume falls under the category of cosmetics. And the only reason I bring that up is I remember my mom for years and years and years when I was younger. Um, the only gift that she ever really told me that she ever wanted was perfume, a very specific, it may have been Chanel, uh, and a specific Chanel perfume, or was it Parfum? Someone, one of these days, I, it's going to have to be a woman, I'm guessing, is going to have to explain to me, is there a difference between perfume and Parfum? 
They're spelled differently. I'm guessing they're two different things. Parfum spell sounds much more expensive. Maybe that's the only difference between the two. But again, 49% of women who get themselves gifts say cosmetics is number one on that list. So there you go. Um, Something else I came across, and I talked about this on the air this morning, uh, and posted this on the station's Facebook page. This was from BuzzFeed. 15 wild celebrity facts. Some are fake, but you have to guess which ones. So I thought what might be fun, and I've got my iPhone with me, and I have the site up right now, is let's play a little game. Let's see how well we do with these. We'll do all 15. 15 wild celebrity facts. Some are fake, but which ones you have to guess which. Uh, Number one, Whoopi Goldberg's real name is actually Karen Johnson. But... She passed gas so often that people kept saying she was like a whoopee cushion, so she changed her name. Now, again, I know the answer to this one is actually true. So I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to hit true. And correct. Whoopi's mom said that no one would take her seriously if she used whoopee cushion as her stage name. She suggested using Goldberg, and the rest is history. So, again, that one's true. Um, I don't know about this one. Betty White is older than sliced bread. I think she's 99. I want to say she turns 100 next year. And I have no idea how old sliced bread is. I'm going to say true. And yes, Betty White, 99 years old, was born January 17th, 1922. The first time a pre-sliced loaf of bread was sold was over six years later in 1928. Wow. All right, that was a guess that I got right, and I'm glad I did. Otherwise, I would have had to apologize to Betty White. Uh, Third one, Judy Garland suffered second-degree burns on her face and third-degree burns on her hand after a stunt went wrong while filming The Wizard of Oz. I've never heard that, and I would have thought I would have heard that by now, so I'm going to say false. All right, correct. It is false. Uh, the onset injury did occur, but it actually happened to Margaret Hamilton. Oh, the Wicked Witch of the West during her dramatic and fiery exit from Munchkinland. Okay, I didn't hear that either. So that injury did occur just to a different actor. Uh, okay. Uh, next one, Guy Fieri's real, real name is actually Guy Fairy, F-E-R-R-Y. And he's first cousins with Prince William and Harry. I haven't heard that one before either. Uh, Let's go with false. And it is false. Guy Fieri's name is Guy Fairy, F-E-R-R-Y. But unfortunately, he's not first cousins with Prince William and Harry. Okay. So half of it was true. But again, so far, we're four for four. Nailing this. Megan Mullally was fired from her role in Finding Nemo for refusing to do her high-pitched Karen Walker, is it Walker? Yeah, voice from Will and Grace. Again, that's one I never heard, so I'm going to go with false. Ooh, it's true. (laughs) According to Mullally, the studio originally agreed that she could do whatever voice she wanted for the undisclosed character, but as time went on, they kept requesting that she use the high-pitched Grace from Will and Voice, she refused, so they fired her. That sounds more like a mutual firing than 
now now the studio studio fired her, but be that as it may. Here's another one that I didn't cheat. I actually did know this. Jason Statham was a competitive diver before he became a professional actor. That's actually true. Um, he was given. He was a member of Britain's national diving team. I don't know if he actually competed in the Olympics. In fact, I want to say he didn't. He was an alternate, I believe. You can look that up. But he was technically a competitive diver, just not an Olympic diver. But again, that wasn't the question. Here's one. Uh, I saw it. I have an opinion, but I have not ventured a guess yet. Adam Sandler came up with the premise for Uncut Gems after losing close to $3 million in a sports bet. I want this to be true, but every part of me, my being says that it's false. So I'm going to go with false. And okay, that is false. The movie was rate, written and created by, okay, it wasn't even written by him. <laughs> so there you go. Adam Sandler didn't even become attached to the project until a decade after it was written. So he had no hand in the writing of it whatsoever. Um, and he, uh, this, this is something interesting. I would have gotten this wrong. The part that he played was originally going to be acted by Jonah Hill. But he took over the project at some point. doesn't give any more details on it than that. Interesting. Right, so Benedict Cumberbatch was abducted by several men with guns while filming a TV show in South Africa. I want to say I read about this. So I'm going to say true. Yes. All right. The event took place in 2005 while he was filming the miniseries To the Ends of the Earth in South Africa. And again, he was abducted by several men with guns while filming a TV show in South Africa. Interesting. Okay. We're doing well so far. Um, all right, so here's one. Before starring in Breaking Bad, Aaron Paul was a contestant on The Price is Right where he won a car and nearly $30,000. Now, in the past, I have seen a picture of someone that definitely resembles Aaron Paul with the name Aaron on it in the old school Price is Right name that they used to put on your shirt. The only reason I'm thinking this might be false is maybe he didn't win a car and nearly $30,000. Maybe he was one of those who got on the row but never got onto the stage. So I'm going to say false. All right. So here you go. Aaron Paul was a contestant on The Price is Right, and he made it. Ooh, he did make it to the showcase showdown. But his bid went over by $132, so he lost. Oh, that sucks. <laughs> but if you watch The Price is Right, I mean, you know the deal. I mean, that's part of the deal. You go over, you go over, you win nothing. And there are times when both contestants go over, uh, which case, I guess, Drew Carey. Or is it Drew Carey now that's the host? I think he's the host now. He gets both prizes. That's his pay, actually. Um, this is, again, another one that I have an opinion on. I just haven't guessed yet. Angela Bassett is now older than Sir Ian McKellen was when he starred as Magneto in the original X-Men movie. I'm pretty sure that's true. <laughs> so I'm going to say true. Yes. Angela Bassett is currently 32 years old. And Sir Ian McKellen had just turned 61 
when he started as Magneto in X-Men in 2000. Interesting. Again, I, I, I thought that sounded right, but again, I'm glad I got it right. Uh, is this the last one? No, a couple more yet. Uh, Jeremy Renner was a makeup artist before he became a famous actor and played Hawkeye in the Avengers series. I should know this one for certain because if I remember correctly, Jeremy Renner actually is from the Valley. Merced, Modesto, one of the two, I think. Uh, for some reason, I want to say this is true. So let's just go with it. Yeah, it is true. And it says, and he really enjoyed the job, which he did before landing the first Oscar nomination for The Hurt Locker, saying, I could do makeup because I did theater. I could paint and I could draw. It brought me a lot of free time to go audition when I needed to because I only had to work a few hours a week. I didn't have to wait tables, so it was actually a great gig. Interesting. So he was already in the business before he got discovered, and you know, I wonder if he does his own makeup now. It's a possibility. Uh, all right, a few more yet to get to. This one... Uh, okay. Tony Todd's mouth was filled with real bees while filming that iconic Candyman scene and aside from getting stung multiple times, he also swallowed three bees whole. Uh, again, I've seen that movie. I remember that scene. And this was long before CGI was as popular as it was as a filming technique now. I'm going to say that's true. Okay, fall, okay. It's false. The bees were real, and he did get stung several times, but he actually wore a mouth guard to keep the bees from crawling down the back of his throat so he didn't swallow any. But they were in his mouth. Oh, still, they were in his mouth. And he did get stung, apparently. He just didn't swallow any. So most of that is true. So we should give ourselves three-fourths of a point for that one right there. Uh, this is another one that I think I remember reading back in the day was true. Michelle Pfeiffer was literally vacuum-sealed in her Catwoman costume while shooting Batman Returns to get it as skin-tight as possible. I'm pretty sure that's true, and it is. She described the process as one of the most uncomfortable things she's ever done. This is a quote from her. They had to powder, powder me down, help me inside, and then vacuum-pack the suit. They'd paint it with a silicone-based finish to give it its trademark shine, I had those claws, and I was always catching them on things. The, fat, the face mask was smashing my face and choking me. And I wonder how many days she had to go through that process of putting this in. I, I, at some point, you got to say, listen, I will stay here through all hours of the night. Just shoot all my scenes now for the love of all things holy and right. I don't want to have to take this out off and then put it back on again tomorrow. So the other part I'd want to know with that, again, is how many filming days did you have to go through the powdering and vacuum seal process? <laughs> All right, so two more. Lauren Hill's real singing voice wasn't actually used in Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Instead, they dubbed her with the singing voice from co-star Tanya Blount. That can't possibly be true. It can't. Lauren Hill's got a great voice, so I gotta say it's gotta be false. And it is false. Lauren Hill sang everything herself except for Wendy McKenna's 
parts. That's Sister Mary Robert. Um, wait a second. Uh, okay, so she was actually lip syncing. So that's interesting. So Mary's sister, Mar- Mary's sister Robert, didn't do the singing. Again, actress uh, Wendy McKenna, her voice was dubbed by somebody else. That, and it doesn't say who. Okay, interesting. All right, so finally, last one. Brian Cranston was the lead suspect in a giant murder investigation. I don't ever remember hearing that, so I'm going to say false. Oh, it's true. Cranston worked at a restaurant when he was 20 years old, and apparently everyone hated one of the chefs. Everyone would talk about how you would kill Peter Wong. I said, I think I would slice him up and put him in a wok and put it over some sticky rice. Wow. Later on, Cranston and his brother went on a motorcycle trip at around the same time Peter Wong was actually murdered. Detectives started to investigate and search for Brian and his brother, assuming they fled the state after committing the crime. Ultimately, they were cleared of all charges. Wow. Uh, I had not heard that about Brian Cranston. Next time I bump into him, I'll ask him about it. Uh, and, and I say that every once in a while, I will get an email from uh, Premier Radio, Radio Networks about possible interviews. Typically, there's C and D list actors um, or people that have written books. But it, it, there's nothing to say that Brian Cranston, if he decides to write a book at some point, wouldn't make that junket. Basically, they'll have someone in a studio and everyone gets five, ten minutes with them and they knock out. 15, 20, 30 interviews at a time, and then how many days they decide to do one of those junkets. Um, If I ever get a chance to talk with him, I will ask him about that. All right, so finally, in the time we have left, I want to talk about one thing in particular, but take it from two angles. If you saw Saturday Night Live this past weekend, you know Elon Musk was the host of the show. And Elon Musk, in his opening monologue, I haven't seen this yet. I want to watch this, and ideally the whole episode, because I've heard critically he's been raked over the coals. But in his his opening monologue, he mentioned that um, he has Asperger's syndrome. And he said to the audience that he's the first person who's hosted the show that has Asperger's little caveat with that, which I'll explain in just a second, and then went on to say, or at least the first to admit it, there he may have you. And I mentioned the caveat, uh, Dan Aykroyd, I didn't know this, also has Asperger's syndrome. And he actually, you know, obviously a long-time actor on the show, comedian, but he actually hosted the show most recently, 2003. I'm not sure when he was diagnosed with Asperger's, so he may not have been aware of, of the fact that he has Asperger's. Uh, But at least he, I don't know that he's ever talked about it publicly like Elon Musk did. Uh, And again, I haven't seen the monologue, so I don't know exactly what the purpose that he had was for talking about the fact that he has Asperger's. Um, And for those who aren't familiar with it, um, there's a, a quick little description in this article that I came across. Asperger's syndrome, or AS, is one of a group of neurological disorders known on the uh, autism spectrum. 
AS is considered to be the mild end of the spectrum. Uh, let's see. CNET sister site Healthline notes people with Asperger's syndrome often have difficulty with social interaction, engage in repetitive behavior, stand firm in what they think. Well, that's Elon Musk. And focus on rules and routines. Often those diagnosed with the disorder have average or above average intelligence. Well, I, w- I would venture to guess that Elon Musk has above, above average intelligence. Uh, and he may, again, going back to one of the symptoms, um, stand firm in what they think. Well, that's because he's right most of the time. <laughs> I would venture to guess. Um, so I thought that was interesting. For him to to put himself out there on that stage on, on on national television, and for the first time, I'm guessing publicly, let it the world know that that's something that he has. It ties in with something I posted on my Facebook page last week, which I am actually toggling over to my Facebook page on my phone right now. It was a post that I put up about my son and I. This was. Uh, three days ago. So this was last week, Friday, Thursday or Friday. Last night, my son told me sometimes he just feels alone. I didn't tell him this, and this is all part of the same post. I didn't tell him this, but there are many times his daddy feels the same way. For the time that we have left, I want to dispel an expression that I can't stand uh, and all associated um, expressions that go right along with it. Never let him see you sweat. My thinking is let them see you sweat. It is imperative that you let them see you sweat. If you don't let them see you sweat, who's going to give you a glass of water? to put it in that analogy. Uh, Elon Musk, and again, I don't know. I've never talked to him. I probably will never have the opportunity to talk with him. I would love to, especially even if I only had the chance to talk with him about his decision to announce the world that he has Asperger's syndrome. Um, I'm assuming he made the decision to talk about it to hopefully strike up a national conversation. Um, I've heard that term thrown out to people before. I never knew exactly what it was until I read that story from CNET about Elon Musk announcing to the world that that is something that he struggles with. And I don't know is that uh, and this is me by being naive about it. If anyone knows any of the answers to any of these questions that I ever ask, by the way, on any of these podcasts, please do reach out. And I'm very easy to get a hold of. You can email me, Mike Pesto, M I K E P E S T O, at M E, M E dot com. Just one M E. I know I repeated myself, but um, if anyone knows, more about this, and and maybe this would have been a great podcast to actually have a guest on with me and and talk with someone who knows a little bit more about the psychology of Asperger's. I don't know, is it something that you're born with that can possibly get better over time, worse over time? Is it something that 
you, for lack of a better term, and I, again, I apologize for the terminology that you get throughout the course of life. Um, I'm assuming there's medications to help deal with it, um, but and hopefully medications have evolved with it because it's it's something that I know has been around for a while. It's a term that I've heard quite often. That I, I know, f- speaking for myself, having been on antidepressants at one point, that it does, it takes the edge off, but it takes all the edges off. Some medications do. I'm, I'm assuming back when I was on antidepressants, this was years ago, this was shortly after I got out of college at San Francisco State. So this must have been very early 90s, early to mid 90s we're talking about, that medications have, I'm hoping, have improved since then, that it may take a certain edge off while still allowing you to have the edge of creativity. Um, I know that was something when I've been on medication previously, again, the antidepressants, that it took that edge off as well. I, I didn't feel depressed, but I didn't feel the highs that I like to feel either. Uh, but at the time... That was it was it was a necessary step I had to take at the time, and there are there are people that I know, friends of mine, family members of mine that will, will never ever 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 take anything prescribed by a psychiatrist because hey, I'll just I'll grin and bear it. I won't let them see me sweat again. I don't like that expression. We we need to be more honest with ourselves. Um, Individually, as groups, as states, as nations. We need to. Um, I am not a big fan of, of statues of anyone. Um, as far as I'm concerned, there has only been one person who's ever walked the face of this earth that was flawless. That was our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Every other human being, every other person, every other fill-in-the-blank has been a flawed fill-in-the-blank. And they've sinned. Martin Luther King Jr. did incredible things. From many things I've read, he was an adulterer. He cheated on his wife. Mahatma Gandhi um, did incredible things, but had the mentality that women were not on the same level as men. Um, And I could go on and on and on. I mean, every single person that you can think of, there are flaws within their character. Those need to be celebrated as much as their accomplishments. Because when you put someone up on a pedestal and you only see the great things that they did, you start feeling as though, well, I'm nowhere close to that person. I have flaws. Look at this person. They're perfect. I mean, with the, uh, the Catholic faith, taking it so far as to declaring them a saint. Every single saint has been a human being. So every single saint 
has sinned by definition. Only one person hasn't. Those sins need to be celebrated just as much as the things that they did right, maybe even more so, to have you realize just how incredible the incredible accomplishments that they did were. you, You can't have one without the other. You can't have exceptionalism without the other side of that coin. And it's completely feasible. I would almost say it's it, it goes without saying that that is true with all of us. I forget what movie it was. Uh, I want to say it was a movie with Kiefer Sutherland. It was, uh, and uh, I forget who played opposite him. But there was this movie where... Um, and I'm going to get some of the plot wrong, and I apologize for that. And if anyone can tell me the name of this movie, it's driving me nuts. I'd love to see it again. Again, Mike Pesto at me.com, where it starts off with Kiefer Sutherland with his girlfriend, and his girlfriend is abducted, kidnapped, and he 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 loses it. I mean, he's just beside himself, and he he drops off the face of the earth basically because. He, his sole purpose in life becomes finding out what happened, trying to get her, if nothing else, figuring out what happened, who took her. And I want to say it was John Lithgow. Lithgow, I, I, I can't remember now, again, the, the actor who played opposite him. Um, but someone finds out about what he's trying to do and starts helping him. Well, it turns out that this was the person who actually abducted her to begin with. And his, uh, I want to say he was a psychology professor. And he had done something previously where he, he saved someone's life. He just was in the right place at the right time, knew what to do, and was able to jump in. And his instincts were right. And he, he saved someone's life. Had it not been for him being where he was when he was there, that person would be dead. And he was praised by family and friends and applauded by the community. And that messed with him psychologically because he thought, well, wait a second. Uh, I, I saved this person's life, and now I'm being elevated to a point where I'm, I'm for lack of a better term, I'm being worshipped by everyone who knows me, by people who don't know me. I wonder what would happen to me as a person if I take a life. I mean, it's interesting. Talk about a flip of the coin. So he went out and and purposely abducted this person, and turns out he did end up killing Keeper Sutherland's girlfriend. And then... Gets towards the end. I think he tries killing Keeper Sutherland's character. I, I'm really going to have to look up this movie at some point and see it again. It it was, we talk about a psychological thriller, but it it just drove the point home that we are all we are all capable of incredible, compassionate, heartwarming things, but we are all also capable of just the opposite. We may have a tendency to lean one way or the other, 
um, based on our upbringing, based on our DNA, based on you know, a whole host of different things. But to spend some time thinking about that and realizing that we all have that within us, it's important, I think, to begin to celebrate the flaws in us as well as the fantastic aspects of our personality. And then getting back to the admission of Elon Musk and having that conversation with my son, realizing that we do need to talk about that, to discuss when we feel alone, to discuss when we feel rage, anger, depression, and the more we have those conversations with each other about those facets, those aspects of our personality, the more we'll realize that we're not alone. And I think that's part of the feeling alone is thinking, okay, well, I'm having these feelings. I'm having these thoughts. I don't see anyone else around me expressing these opinions. I must be wrong. There must be something wrong with me. I should be alone. I deserve to be alone. And that's what happens when you never let them see you sweat. Social media can actually be a blessing in this, at least for me, because there are times I am feeling low. And whether you want to call it a cry for help, um, whether you just want to call it a down moment where you're looking for someone to give you a pat on the back and say that everything is going to be okay. It is sometimes easier for me to throw a post up on my Facebook page like I did about my son. Again, with the last night my son told me sometimes he just feels alone. I didn't tell him this, but there are many times his daddy feels the same way. That was, I can honestly say, a moment that I realize just how important it is to have those conversations. For one, for me to have those conversations with my son and with my daughter and with anyone that I truly do care about when I see there is something going on that needs to be talked about, needs to be addressed, needs to be embraced. And I sat down with my son on his bed and we talked about why he feels alone and what's going on in his life right now. And a lot of it goes to what a lot of us are feeling right now, feeling isolated because of COVID-19 restrictions. And he had, as we talked about, COVID-19. So he takes this incredibly seriously. He's the only 12-year-old I know that you don't have to tell him to put a mask on to go into the store. And not only that, he wants to wear the N95s. So I know it's taken a toll on him physically in that he's gotten COVID-19 as well as emotionally in that he maybe is doing more than he needs to to protect himself and others. But again, he feels good about doing that and, and obviously feeling alone because we haven't been able to have friends of his come over. We've talked for a while about him getting into soccer and he wants to do it. So I'm hoping at some point he can be able to do that. And I'm sure that's going to be happening sooner rather than later. Things are opening up more and more every single day, which is great. But if, if you walk away from our conversation today with just one thing, uh, I would simply ask that you walk away with the knowledge that it's okay to let them see you sweat, 
that it's okay to post things on Facebook that make you appear vulnerable because we all are. I don't care what type of brave front whoever it is that you may look up to is putting up. They're just as flawed and as scared and as nervous about what's going on as you are, maybe even more so. Maybe that's the reason why they're putting up that brave front because that's a defense mechanism with quite a few people is that the more scared I am, the more bravado I'm going to emit to help me get through it because what's the old expression? Fake it until you can make it. Again, another expression I can't stand. (laughs) But there are quite a few people that do. And realizing that you're not alone and feeling alone and embracing it and saying that it's okay to feel that way at times is, is important. So be honest with yourself first and foremost. If you can just take that first step in, in being honest with yourself about where you are and how you feel, especially with everything going on right now. Whew. And that brings us to the end of another week. Thank you. Uh, for listening to as much of this as you have. And know I'll be back once again next week with another insert clever and witty name here podcast. In the meantime, take care of yourself. Be honest with yourself. And have a great week.